Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Mandy Wright, and I am a member of this congregation. I'd like to extend a special welcome to anyone that is joining us here or online this morning, especially new guests. Since 1870, UU has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online. Please subscribe to our newsletter, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And with that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting you will find the words printed in the order of service. We light this chalice for the true light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Please rise. You'll find our opening hymn number 361, Enter, Rejoice, and Come In. Open your ears to the song 
Open your hearts, everyone. Open your hearts, everyone. Today will be a joyful day, and to rejoice and come in. Don't be afraid of some change. Don't be afraid of some change. Today will be a joyful day. Enter, rejoice, and come in. Enter, rejoice, and come in. Enter, rejoice, and come in. Today will be a joyful day. Enter, rejoice, and come in. Please remain standing for our affirmation. You'll find the words in your order of worship. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. In our doxology. Yesterday's warmer temps and rain and lightning, and then this morning's slippery parking lot brought to reminder that we are in at least one of my least favorite Wisconsin seasons, false spring or second winter. <laughs> Depends on the day. It's a time filled with mush and slush and mud, which my dogs will insist on trekking across my hardwoods for the next few weeks. It's a time of waiting and watching for spring. If we're patient, though, Sooner or later, the snow drops and the daffodils will peek through, the birds will return, and the days will warm, and we will be rewarded with actual spring. Around the globe this week, many Christians and even some Unitarian Universalists started their own season of watching and waiting, Lent. Observed from Ash Wednesday to Easter, Lent is a time for intention, appreciation, and stretching your spiritual muscles. So for this morning's Time for All Ages, I'm going to invite you in doing just that with me, and preparing for Lent with a guided meditation I adapted from Gail Forsyth Fail. There'll be several points where I say the word hush, and when I do, I invite you to quiet your mind and your body with a deep breath in, a pause, and then let it out. Let's begin. Hush. Something's about to happen. Everything's ready. We're poised on the edge of something. The robins will soon return. They sing as they build their nests and begin families. Listen. It's about to happen. The daffodils beneath the ground are gathering up all the moisture and the nutrients and energy. They are getting ready to grow. It's about to happen.
In the Christian story of Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem, a dangerous place for him. Can you feel it? Hush. Something's about to happen. In the Jewish story told at Passover, Moses told Pharaoh to let my people go. Will he do it? Hush. Something's about to happen. The chicks and their eggs are getting ready to break out of their shells. Hush. It's about to happen. Children all over the state will get out their spring jackets and bicycles. That first warm day is coming. Can you feel it coming? Easter will soon be here. Plans are being made. Baskets and bonnets, special foods, special decorations made ready. Something's going to happen here. Hush. Can you feel it? Do you know it? Deep down inside yourself, that something important is coming. These are the weeks to hush. To get ready to know, deep down inside, that something wonderful will happen very soon. These are the weeks to pay attention to all that is around us, to worship with our eyes and ears and fingertips. Everything and every one of us prepares to get ready for life to return. Hush. Please join in blessing our children off to their group this morning and those joining here and from afar with may peace surround you. The words are printed in your order of service. of UU Wausau is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwasa.org, to make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thank you for your support.
invite everyone to join me in the spirit of prayer or meditation. Take a moment to center yourself, center your body. It is your custom to pray or meditate with your eyes closed. Feel free to go ahead and close them now. Become aware of the people and the energy in this room, the people who made a pilgrimage from their home who together make up our congregation this morning. Hear the sounds outside, the sounds inside. Notice your beating heart, your breathing lungs. And let us pray. O life, great mystery. There is always so much more to do than we think we have time and energy for. So much pain and suffering around us to confront or ignore. So we pray, remembering all those throughout this city and across the world who hunger but find no relief. We pray especially for the people of Ukraine who fight a war beyond their control. And for the people of Russia, many of whom watch as a battle is waged by their army, a war they do not support nor understand. We pray, remembering all those throughout this city and across the world who suffer harsh conditions, bondage and affliction, the pain of isolation, or the anguish of war. We lift up all these whose needs we know and all the needs known only in sacred silence. Now, dear friends, I invite you to call into your mind all the joys and sorrows in your lives, and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. I invite you to stay seated for our prayer hymn number 1031 in the Teal Hymnal, filled with loving kindness. Thank you. 
loving kindness. May we be well, may we be filled with loving kindness. May we be well, may we be peaceful and at ease. May we be whole. This morning's reading I selected from a collection of short essays by the writer Kathleen Norris. The book is entitled Amazing Grace, and this particular essay is entitled My Messy House. She writes, When I'm working as an artist in residence at parochial schools, I like to read the Psalms out loud to inspire the students who are usually not aware that the snippets they sing at Mass are among the greatest poems in the world. But I have found that when I have asked children to write their own psalms, their poems often have an emotional directness that is similar to that of the biblical Psalter. They know what it's like to be small in a world designed for big people, to feel lost and abandoned. Children are frequently astonished to discover that the psalmists so freely express the more unacceptable emotions, sadness, and even anger, even anger at God. And all of this is in the Bible that they hear read in church every Sunday morning. Children who are picked on by their big brothers and sisters can be remarkably adept when it comes to writing cursing psalms. And I believe that the writing process offers them a safe haven in which to work through their desires for vengeance, but in a healthy way. Once a little boy wrote a poem called The Monster Who Was Sorry. He began by admitting that he hates it when his father yells at him. His response in the poem is to throw his sister down the stairs and then to wreck the room and finally to wreck the whole town. But then the poem concludes, Then I sit in my messy house and I say to myself, I shouldn't have done all that. My messy house that says it all. With more honesty than most adults could have mustered, the boy made a metaphor for himself that admitted the depth of his rage and also gave him a way out. If that boy had been a novice in the 4th century monastic desert, his elders might have told him that he was well on his way toward repentance. No such a monster after all, but only a human. If the house is messy, they might have said, why not clean it up? Why not make it into a place where God might wish to dwell? Therein ends our reading.
As just mentioned, the season of Lent got underway last week on Ash Wednesday. Of all the seasons the church traditionally celebrates, I think Lent is the season the church gets right. Oftentimes the church's ancient seasons, they seem just sort of odd and out of touch in modern times. Just think about Advent, for instance, which is celebrated in those weeks before Christmas. Remember the message of Advent? Advent encourages people to be present to be present to the magic of life, even as the days get shorter and the nights grow longer. But I expect every single one of us knows that being present at Christmas time in the 21st century is sort of a big fat joke. By the time we make all the plans, buy all the presents, do all the traveling, cook all the meals, host all the guests, and sing Silent Night, we're all so stressed, all we want to do is tell everybody to shut up so we can take a nice, long, silent nap. And the season of Epiphany right after Christmas is mostly ignored. We're supposed to acknowledge the journey of the wise men, but our Christmas pageants for centuries have messed that part of the story up so bad so that instead of meditating on faith and generosity, we just sort of haul the Christmas decorations back into the basement and throw the tree by the curb. 
I think Lent gets it right because it's about sadness and it's about grief. This time of year, the church scoops us up into her arms and says, you grieve, I grieve, we all grieve. It's in this season that all those nagging questions that keep us up at night, they're invited to just rise on up to the top. Questions like, will our regrets define our lives? Will we ever be able to get over our shame? Will I always feel so lonely? Lent is the moment when we sit in 152-year-old pews where rear ends have rested and collectively asked, who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life? And what will become of all of us? I'm sure we've all known someone who uses the 40 days of Lent like a season of spiritual self-help where we try and give up a bad habit or two. There's that friend, and maybe you have that friend, they like to give up chocolate or soda, or there's the other friend who says they're going to work out for 40 days in a row. I've got this great Catholic nun who's a friend of mine, and she tells me every single year right before Lent starts, she says, Brian, I always look forward to Lent because for Lent, I give up Lent every year. And then she carries on drinking her Diet Cokes and eating her red meat all through the season. The 40 days are meant to mirror the time Jesus went into the desert to fast and pray before he was publicly executed. And so he went into the desert thinking that he would be alone, and there alone he'd be able to find some peace and some quiet. But as the story goes, what did he find? Temptation after temptation, distraction after distraction, which should resonate with just about everyone who has ever tried to pray or meditate and found their minds just running away with thoughts and interruptions or a noisy house. So while Jesus was in the desert, the devil shows up. And the devil says, Jesus, I dare you to use your powers to calm your hunger. I dare you to use your powers to gain power over other people. I dare you to use your powers to make people worship you. Now let me be clear, I don't believe that there's a red-skinned devil like in the Looney Tunes cartoons, but I do believe in the devil, and I'll tell you why. I believe in the devil because everyone struggles with devils. We're deviled by our selfishness, by our desire to dominate, by dishonesty, by our endless search for material comfort, and on and on. And then, of course, there are the external devils like we see each night on the evening news a war in Ukraine, murder, injustice. The season of Lent is about sadness and grief and how at times it feels as though those things pursue us. It's a season that asks you to accept that sometimes the best thing you can say is, I'm not in control. I can't fix this, and I'm sorry. In the end, we're all fragile and fallible. And that's exactly what Lent asks us to meditate on. To celebrate the start of Lent, I joined with a group of local clergy here in town to pray and present ashes at an interfaith service. Now, I've been celebrating this season for nearly a decade. I didn't grow up celebrating Lent. And before I was this church's pastor, I was a hospital chaplain, as you might have heard me mention before, in St. Louis. And I remember all those Ash Wednesdays very fondly. And I would walk those bright white hallways wearing this jet black robe. And right beside me was this very short, one-eyed Irish Catholic nun who would make sure that we offered a reminder of everyone's mortality to every person in that hospital who still had a pulse. 
She would drag me around in and out of every single unit, and over again I would dip my thumb deep into those thick ashes, and I would draw a big cross on people's foreheads. And I would say over and over again, remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. Doctors, nurses, patients, students, family members, cafeteria workers, even the homeless people out on the sidewalks, I'd present them ashes. In a culture that pretends we can outrun death by getting injections or dieting or exercising, Ash Wednesday is sort of like that friend who isn't afraid to talk with you about all the warts and pimples in our lives that everyone else just ignores. For this year's Ash Wednesday, local clergy and I, we crafted a service that included a moment to pray for the war in Ukraine. And so long after the service was over, I was just standing in the narthex chatting with people. And I looked back inside the sanctuary and I saw that there were several people still sitting there in the pews, bowed in prayer. One woman was sitting beside her young son who, in sort of a role reversal, he lifted up his hand and put it on his mother's back. I thought about people like them, people like us, people who have spent the last two years living through a pandemic. Worldwide, the newspaper said yesterday that six million people have died because of COVID. A million of those people right here in the United States. And just when it started to look like we were climbing out of the pandemic for the second time, Russia waged war on Ukraine. And so the news went from political circuses and pandemic tragedy to include images of tanks and bombs and broken bodies and millions of new refugees. Ancient spiritual masters whose words and names have been spoken into this sanctuary thousands of times, they often referred to a kind of dread which for them was a nagging sense that we might be missing something important and that somehow, some way, we have been untrue. That we've been untrue to ourselves, to our loved ones, to our fellow citizens, to people in need, and maybe to God or the divine. And for centuries, people have celebrated Lent because it gives us time each year to confront those feelings. That's a time of year to let go of excuses for failings and shortcomings, a time to stop hanging on to whatever shreds of goodness we perceive in ourselves. That's a time that we ask to see and be seen for who we really are. What all those ancient masters tried to help us understand is this. The needs of the world are too great. The suffering and the pain too huge. The lures of the world are too seductive for us to begin to change the world unless first we are changed, unless we are willing to let our lives and our morals be totally transformed. They told us this because the status quo is just too alluring. It's the air we breathe, it's the food we eat, it's the nightly news, it's our institutions, our religions, our atheisms, our politics. The Lenten discipline of asking ourselves who we are and who we should be knows that confrontation with the devils of the world are vital. But the more necessary confrontation is with ourselves. The struggle with evil in the world begins with the struggle with evil within. And that struggle depends on us learning about and admitting our limitations. The great writer Fred Beekner 
He says that every year we should use Lent to ask ourselves questions like this. If you had to bet everything, if you had to bet everything you have on whether there is a God or whether there isn't, which side would you put your money on and why? When you look at your face in the mirror, what do you see in it that you most like? And what do you see in it that you most deplore? If you had only one last message to leave the handful of people who are the most important to you, what would that message be in 25 words or less? Of all the things that you have done in your life, which is the one you would most like to undo? Which is the one that makes you happiest to remember? If there is any person in this world or any cause that if circumstances called for it, is there something that you are willing to die for? And finally, if someone were to hand you a telegram that said, this is the last day of your life, what would you do with it? The point of asking and answering these questions is that as you do, you'll hear about what and who you are becoming and what and who you are failing to become. Now, most of us, and I include myself in this statement, have a little room for improvement. A story. So this past summer, I was sitting outside one of the local nursing homes with a few friends from this church who are in their 90s. I sort of confessed to these members of the church. I said, I've been having a bit of a difficult year. And in all these areas where I used to feel so strong and I used to feel so confident, I now feel weak. I now feel fearful. And so I said, hey, friends, why don't you tell me at what age all that age-earned wisdom finally is going to start coming my way? And so from behind their walkers, they burst into laughter right in front of my face. And they said, Brian, wisdom in old age is a myth. They told me, they said, Brian, you're never going to stop wanting to be liked more than you're going to... They said that you will never stop wanting to be liked more than wanting to do the right thing. They said that I'll never stop having regrets, that I will always struggle with humility, and on and on. You're always going to fail, was what they said. That's just life. And even with something like that, something I practiced for years... I've failed at the challenge of Lent every single year. And if I'm honest, I expect I'm going to fail my own Lenten challenge again this year and probably every year until I die. But one of the messages I got from those old friends of mine is that sometimes we have to fail in order to grow. So Jana Rice, she wrote this wonderful short little book called Flunking Sainthood. So when she pitched this book to her publisher, she said that it would be about one person's attempt at mastering all of these various spiritual disciplines like fasting, Lectio Divina, reciting daily the Jesus prayer, and so on. Bryce quickly learned, as soon as she set out on this project, that she was absolutely terrible at every single one of these disciplines. And so she was totally dejected, and she wrote to her publisher to let him know, she said, I cannot write this book. But rather than let her give up, her publisher wrote her back and he said, keep going. What you need to write about is the wild acceptability of failure itself. 
Ash Wednesday and the Lenten season are about remembering that all of us are failures, that everyone is going to get an F in sainthood, and that one day we will die. The psalmist tells us over and over again, 150 times, number your days. And then the poet of Ecclesiastes says that everything in the end will be like a mist. The point of all this isn't to turn us into a bunch of gloomy buzzkills, but rather to shock us into recognizing the things in our lives that close us off to ourselves and to the people and the things that matter. I think that given the last few years that humanity has suffered, the war, the war our world is now facing, and whatever weaknesses our soul personally suffers, I want to ask you this. Who are you? And what are you supposed to do with your life? Amen. You're welcome to rise and join me in singing our closing hymn, which you'll find in your order of service on the green sheet, Let There Be Peace on Earth. to take their hand now. For those of you that are alone, I invite you to reach out with your hearts. May the truth 
that sets us free, and the hope that never dies, and the love that casts out fear. May it lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Please have a seat. Relax and enjoy the postlude. I'll see you soon. Thank <laughs> you.